This is Fight Together, a One Piece podcast special series. And I'm one of your hosts. My name is Zach. I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Shannon Strucci. How's it going, Shannon? Hello. I'm excited to be back. And uh, my also wonderful, also co-host, Brian Newton. How's it going, Brian? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's good to be it's back. Like... I'm sorry. I'm always negative. <laughs> Is that what it is? Um, well, don't worry. We're light topics as always here on Fight Together. We're talking about uh, colonization and assimilation. Um, the lightest in One Piece, of topics. The lightest of topics in One Piece and in the real world. But before we start talking about it, I want to introduce our awesome guest this week. Uh, returning uh, r- screenwriter, Carol Grant. How's it going, Carol? Hello, it's uh, your favorite transsexual here once again to talk about why both race is as much bullshit as gender when it comes to my life now. So, <laughs> hooray. <laughs> Yay. Um, Yay. <laughs> I, I guess. Or I should, probably do, I, should, I should do uh, what Brian said. And, eh, eh, that doesn't sound good. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we also have... Uh, soon to be full librarian uh <laughs> paula is with us how's it going paula gator hi, hi. <laughs> it is me i'm back from wherever i came from <laughs> <laughs> just deep in the trenches of library and information science and we're i'm always happy to have paula on i it makes me feel like i always need to do more research for everything i do um <laughs> Which is true. It is true. But you have also taught me the importance of finding reference materials on all sorts of places. So I, 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 Paula's always great to have on. Carol's always great to have on. My co-hosts are always great to have on. So this kicks off our third season of Fight Together. And we're talking all about, as I said before, colonization and assimilation. It is a topic very important in the One Piece world and unfortunately also very important and relevant in the real world. So I I first want to ask our uh, guests, you know, what drew you to come on to talk about today's subject? Um, Carol, I'll start with you. Well, um, I think part of it is that, like, not just the, I I think it's important that it's not just colonization, but also assimilation as well. Like, I remember, like, as far back as, like, when I was a kid and then also, like, around college time, um, people would try to guess what my ethnicity was, and they would always think that I was either white or Latino, and I'm half Filipino. And no one would ever get that right. And that's partly due to the fact that there, even though there's a shit ton of Filipino people here in California, like probably like the third most populous uh, Asian American population in California and possibly all of America, um, no one really like talks about either the Philippines or Filipino people or just like, and even then also being biracial, it also just caused a whole lot of just stuff in my head that was like, I always thought of myself as white and I was like kind of white passing, but not quite fully. And it basically just led to a lot of self image stuff that was entangled in a lot of cultural stuff, as well as like, you know, how we were raised as kids to be as kind of American as possible. And we didn't really 
hear much about uh, the country that our mother was born from. So yeah, it was. Uh, I just kind of feel like that due to like when when I finally learned about the greater history of the Philippines and Spanish and Japanese colonization over there, um, which we'll we'll get to. Um, it just felt like there's a whole side of my family history that I just had no idea about until I became a full-fledged adult. And that's a part of the deal with colonization. It's not just that it's a thing that happens, but it's a thing that happens that we pretend doesn't happen because the history of it is either sandpapered or whitewashed or erased. And uh, yeah, it's just something that's... Uh, always been on my mind and I kind of enjoy trying to interrogate it because it's the only time I ever get to sort of think about my Filipino-ness in, in a very constructive way. The sand, sandpapering and whitewashing, unfortunately, ever, ever relevant, um, particularly relevant, I feel like, just generally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Paula, what about you? What, uh, what piqued your interest? Um, pretty much... Uh... Piggybacking on Carol, I am also Filipino American. Nice. Um, so, <laughs> um, and specifically an immigrant Filipino American, I'm kind of considered like 1.5 generation just because um, I grew, I moved here with my family when I was very young. I was seven, about seven, six, seven years old. So I grew up here. Mm. Um, and so colon, uh, colonialism and uh, assimilation is very much my lived experience. Um, I have very distinct memories of um, being bullied as a kid. And interestingly enough, I have a very particular, um, which I don't talk about very often. I probably will at some point, even maybe even turn into a paper as all BIPOC academics do, I feel like. Um, I have a very odd relationship with my Filipino American identity because I'm not Filipino enough for my family back home. And I'm not American enough for my friends here mm. in terms of growing up. And so it's always been a weird in-between for me. Like I also grew up in like all, I believe most immigrant stories or family stories, you tend to move to locations that already has kind of like a, your culture communities already established too. So I grew up in a very Filipino neighborhood in Los Angeles, but because I myself was an immigrant, like I didn't know, I have a, like, I didn't know the, um, like I was like second or third grade and I didn't know that Coke was a name for a brand and not just the generic name for soda. So I used to call like things like Sprite Coke. Cause yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's stuff like that. But then I was made fun of because I was immediately set forth as a fob, fresh off the boat. Very derogatory term for immigrant kids or just immigrants in general, especially if you're dealing with like diaspora um, kids <laughs> um, versus um, immigrant kids, kind of. And so it was one of those things where like I was bullied as a kid, like you would probably most nerdy kids get bullied um, growing up, but I was bullied with by kids who looked exactly like me. Um, it wasn't that, and that kind of makes it a unique, unique experience. And sometimes even for me and my family, 
growing up, I was always the quiet kid that liked to read a lot. And in sometimes in Filipino culture, like I don't want to hug and kiss auntie right now. I'm, I want to read my book. Um, and that's too real. Right. And that gave me the, uh, the kind of, uh, nickname of suplada or like stuck up or maarte, like all these words that define, like people try to like define me, but then, you know, I'll, I'll get that as an insult. And then on the flip side, I'll get like, oh, but you, I love it when you speak English, you have no accent. I'm like, what does that mean? What is <laughs> like, I, I don't yeah, understand. Yeah. Or if I speak the Galog, like they could like, oh, I could hear your American accent. So you're not that, well, if I go back, like say if I were to travel back to the Philippines, which I used to do um, with my family, they're like, we can't, you, I stick out so horribly as an American that they're like, we, you cannot go out by yourself. You'll get robbed, you'll get kidnapped, or you'll get scouted for MTV VJs in the Philippines because you, you, have, you have like a pure American accent. And so my, how I feel about my Philippine, it's, very, it's only now as an adult when I try to examine how that colonial uh, mentality has affected just uh, diaspora Asian, like Asian Americans. Um, how do you like in that in-between state, have I really trying to like re kind of examine what being Filipino and Filipino American means to me. And a lot of the times how I found those identities came out of the stories that I read. Like I got into manga and anime. These are Japanese stories but they were so outside of me that I was able to kind of like soak them in to kind of examine who, what I was going through because I felt like such an outsider in both of the worlds that I lived in. So, and a lot of that comes from like the lived experience of essentially being a colonized culture. So I, I th- jumped at this I, I mean, chance. <laughs> thank, thank you both for, for jumping at the chance as well. Cause it's, it's a really, really important topic. Not just, it's one I, I feel like is not super, you know, discussed in, 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 well, at least in the circles I'm in. Um, but that is so pervasive and I think shonen manga in particular, in particular, um, you know, as nerds, I think a lot of, you know, as myself, uh, speaking for myself, um, it speaks to us because it is that other, you know, it is that outsider, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of series even like Naruto or, um, you know, most other shonen series or most other Japanese manga involve, you know, that outsider, you know, trying to, to make their way through the world. And I think that's what speaks to us. But it's it's very interesting also to hear how it is. I, I, I mean, I guess my question, you know, would be like, is it both a form of escapism, but also a form of um, seeing yourself in, in them? And I guess how has that, how have you seen yourself in one piece when it comes to the, when it comes to this specifically? Well, I, for sure, it was the reason why I, Robin's story in particular in One Piece, like, nom, mm. nom, 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 nom. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, yeah, same. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. also the librarian aspect of it yeah. helped a little too. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. sure. Like, Let's be honest. Yeah, well, I mean, finally. 
<laughs> I think I saw it. I saw it on Twitter. That's like librarians are the fun ants of academia. And I'm like, yes, correct. <laughs> we're not your professors. We're not going to grade you, but we will tell you exactly where to find what you need to find. Um, but yeah, like Robin's story in particular. And it's that, um, you know, the straw hats are so loud and rambunctious. Like, and it was really... Robin's story even just from like started off as like a villain character and then grew into someone who was who was just like essentially just trying to make um embrace that if you're gonna villainize me anyway I'll embrace it for the people that I care about Mm. I'm like oh yes and for me like even being um told like your even like you know my skin tone color so much of Philippine uh, colonial mentality um affects um colorism obviously like there's so many whitening products like growing up in the philippines i mean again growing up like my mom so many aunts would just come up to me as a form of uh i don't know it's endearment or just like we love you we want to take care of you but they'll pinch the bridge of my nose when i was little to make sure i have a bridge and that it's not flat Hmm. and i'm like why (laughs) (laughs) um and sometimes even my mom will be just like I love I I'm so glad you inherited your dad's nose and not mine because it's like you have a bridge I'm like that sucks like why do you not see yourself as beautiful um but yeah it's that that thing where um where uh I I just people who try to like somebody someone outside you tries to define you and you kind of take that and just go you know what, if you're going to make this assumption about me, or you're going to define me as this, I don't mind being this. And I'm going to be this in my own terms. And for me, that's kind of Robin's story. And that uh, the healing aspect of she found the people who like, again, that found family aspect. Um, mm-hmm. I, I see that a lot in how I even make my own friendship, especially like as an only child. I think also only children have the habit of like, collecting siblings because you didn't have any can you kind of imagine what siblings might be like (laughs) so (laughs) I totally like see that in found family narratives that I find often in in manga like you do anything for your friends that's great Carol what about yeah yeah um I uh I I don't I never really saw myself in terms of like the the Filipino experience in one piece because I was too busy focusing on like the, the found family is like kind of a queer metaphor in terms of like, you know, mm-hmm. transness and stuff. However, um, I think uh, one thing about um, about Robin's story that uh, you touch on is like a lot about like preservation of cultures. And I really like that so much of One Piece is like you go to a new place and you're like learning so much about this culture and you're like, getting in touch with like all the other people who live there and how all their complicated feelings about it. And I just feel like I've, I've still never, I'm unlike you, I've actually never been to the Philippines and uh, I've only ever heard from it, like in terms of my mother and my mother would always kind of, uh, I I don't think that she's fully 100% negative on her old home of the Philippines but she would also like talk a lot about how the Philippines were like a place of like, you know, she, she lived in squalor. We only had paper dolls and, 
and mm. we didn't have the things that you kids that I'm making sure that you kids have. And my mom is also just very much like she's trying like my mom always like put on a lot of stuff to make herself look as American as white as possible. And mm-hmm. to the point that, like, we also, like, me and my siblings, we never really saw ourselves as Filipino-American. And I, I think another part of that is um, that uh, my mom told me because uh, my the guy who was my grandfather, he died when my mom was very, very little. But all I know about him was that he was apparently uh, a Spanish guy. And obviously, like, Spain being, like, a big colonizer. And mom would always say, oh, but he always, like, cared about, like, you know, the Filipino people. And obviously married my mom, who is Filipino, and so on and so forth. And it's, I, I'm never able to, like, look into the past and, like, figure out how to interrogate the whole, like, how much of that was, like, out of, like, you know, because there are power dynamics there that my mom isn't, like, interrogating in terms of like and and those are things that um i i often always struggled with in terms of connecting with filipino culture because because it's always sort of felt like a kind of outside thing and i always just felt like i never really saw any of myself in anything i think at least with one piece i feel like one thing that i really appreciate about is like for example um a character like Zoro, for instance, I remember, like, as I was reading, I, w- I would always be theorizing about, like, oh, are are we going to get a Zoro flashback when we get to Wano? Like, is Zoro going to be revealed as, like, a Wano guy or something? And I don't think we got that yet, but we got, like, a little snippet of something in one of the recent chapters, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And, and, and I kind of feel a little bit for Zoro in terms of just, like, this guy who just doesn't really have any kind of home or culture beyond just, uh, you know, the dojo where he lived in and uh, as a kid. And I, and then even Luffy as well, like Luffy and Ace being like both kind of like orphans and adoptive uh, brothers with each other and Sabo as well. And I think the thing that I remember like freaking out the most about was, uh, uh, during uh, the one of the flashbacks with Ace and Luffy uh, and and Sabo as well, and they're showing where they live, and uh, Oda included uh, this area that is based on an actual place in the Philippines. That's yeah, the literally great just the great yeah, the terminal. great mountain of trash. Yeah, and uh, and that was like a moment where I was just like, oh shit! Like he actually like is actually looking into like Filipino culture in a sense and sort of incorporating even just a tiny little detail of it into his book and obviously like his uh why am i saying book manga um one piece is just a whole hodgepodge of different cultures that i think he's interested in and he's even interested like even though luffy he's said before that uh luffy uh his if his nationality would be uh taken to the real world it'll probably be brazilian but I also always kind of like saw him as kind of like a Filipino-ish kind of character to me. And I don't know what it is. Like, I think part of it is... Is it the, the flip-flops? The, it's the flip-flops. Yeah, this this part of it. That's part of it. Um, it's shorts. also uh, uh, the skin tone where he looks kind yeah. of light skin, but he's not really. 
Yeah, and uh, he he's also just uh, he's someone who, in his own way, kind of doesn't have like a culture to sort of like look back on in terms of like familial tree, and he sort of creates his own culture, and I think that's what I really see myself in in terms of like both Luffy and Zoro, and uh, I'm I'm also just very curious because obviously there's a lot of stuff about Luffy and Zoro that are currently kept as a big secret mystery that i'm curious about like i would like to learn more about dragon de luffy and also zoro's connection to lunarians maybe question mark i don't know but um all, all that said um i feel like these characters are sort of searching for snippets of who they were and like where they're from and like sort of a connection to their generation to their old generation even as they are still making do with like a found family and a found generation and a found culture. And I connect with that a lot because obviously I found a sort of family in the queer community and the trans community. But then along the uh, Filipino community, I feel like I don't get as much uh, from them because I'm just too American. And that's a shame because Mm -hmm. the Philippines and Southeast Asia in general, uh, there are a lot of trans people and and there's there's a whole thing with regards to um i i don't want to say too much but i recently found out that someone in my family who i always thought was cis was trans the whole time and i was like how did i not know this even as a kid and like if i knew that i would have like been able to articulate stuff about my gender and mm. if i knew that there is a connection with transness in filipino culture because like indigenous Filipino culture, from what I hear, along with like a lot of like native and indigenous uh, other cultures, uh, believed in like more than two genders, obviously, mm-hmm. or uh, like two spirits, stuff like that. And that's why e- even in the Philippines today, there are a lot of like trans and gender nonconforming people over there, uh, Vietnam and Thailand as well. And uh, I feel like in a way me being trans almost just felt like a, almost like a fulfillment of like oh i i kind of have something in common with ancient ancestors that i had that i have no idea about so it's all just a process of learning and discovery that i'm always really really interested in and i feel like there's a lot of that in one piece as well in in terms of like both the characters and also just all the other different places that they visit and are learning about and the characters who live in those places so yeah i'd have to like think a little bit more about some other characters but yeah th- those are the main ones and it, it it's been tough because um i i feel like i could have maybe been a little bit more wizened about being of a different culture than just like being taught to be as American and white as possible. So I, I, I definitely feel a lot for a lot of the stuff that's happening with like Luffy and Zoro and just like very curious to find out what's going on with them. So yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, sorry, go ahead. No, Paula, Paula, go. Um, it's interesting that you did bring up Zoro in particular of like not necessarily like connecting with whatever um, uh, Wano roots or even like, who knows, 
<laughs> Lemurian like roots that he may or may not have because I have head roots. yeah totally that distinct um that moment like he's just the capital letter sword guy but the way that he had um oh what's his face's uh sword the skeleton oh, guy yeah. Ryuma yes yeah. Yeah. he had Ryuma um, and then the folks in Wano, they're like, you shouldn't have that sword. You don't know the story behind it. And he's like, it's just a cool sword. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that yeah. feeling, that moment, like, again, as someone who is part of the diaspora, um, like, I am, I love, like, super proud, you know, Pinoy pride, like, Filipino-American culture. I love that it exists here in, in the States. Um, mm -hmm. the problem with that is, again, I still have trauma of like the Filipino kids bullying the heck out of me and locking me in a bathroom. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to be proud if this is who like these Pinoy pride kids are. They're yeah, mean. I feel like, uh, part of that. And also like, not just with regards to like whatever Filipino kids that bullied us as kids. And then also my mom who always wanted to like be as white passing as possible totally and me just being like a whole different blend of different like like spanish and a, i think he was also like partly chinese as well so i think there's like a yeah, tiny little bit of Chi chinese blood in me and then like but but it's mainly filipino and white coming from my mom and dad um we internalize a lot of the uh colonization that happens to our ancestors and like it reverberates over generations mm -hmm. and sometimes when you internalize that it just comes out in freaking weird ways that you wouldn't expect whether it's from like tr like trying on whitening products for example or mm -hmm. even just like i remember i would try to get my mom into like a lot of the animes that i was really into and whenever I would bring up anime, like, even though, I don't know why, like, my mom's very inconsistent about this, but, like, you know, we watched a lot of, like, Studio Ghibli movies. We had, like, the old, like, Fox tapes of, like, the dubs for Totoro and Kiki's Delivery Service and shit. But, like, whenever I would try to get my mom to watch something like Grave of the Fireflies, for instance, which was about Japan's involvement in war or any sort of political kind of that, thing. That that movie just makes me lose it every time. It, it makes everyone lose it. I it watched that on a plane to Hong Kong, I think, and I was just weeping mm. in the middle of the flight. Um yeah. awful idea. It, awful idea. But like whenever my whenever I would try to get my mom to sort of empathize with certain uh, like Japanese culture things that I personally am really into, she would always get really um pissy about just being like oh if you know what like the japanese did in the philippines like yeah like, they fucking deserve it and i'm like jesus <laughs> i've I, heard that i'm just trying Filipino to bring up too. this really good <laughs> movie about two kids that had nothing to do with any of that stuff and yet were punished but like but mm -hmm. yeah it's like there's just stuff like that that just gets kind of really deeply internalized that when it when it comes out it and you're not interrogating it it's like really unhealthy and i think another yeah. thing uh i think another thing that uh comes up is uh oh uh, not just like spanish colonization but one of the big facets of spanish colonization in the philippines is that catholicism is the main religion in with most filipino people and my mom and my family are no different they're very devoutly catholic 
unfortunately that meant i was raised catholic and it led to some fucked up stuff with regarding to like queer identity and just other kinds of things but um it, it's like the they're the main religion like a lot of Filipino culture are a lot of leftovers from Spanish colonization. Our last names are now stuff like Rodriguez and uh, my mom's last name is Poblador even. And a lot of really Spanish sounding names. Uh, and then everyone's uh, worshiping Catholicism. Meanwhile, we know nothing about like the indigenous Filipino culture and what things were like for the Philippines before Spanish colonization. You don't even and have the original name of the Philippines in its original dialect. Exactly. It's yeah. just the Philippines. We don't and know And those original. are the things that I want to know about. Those are the things right. that I'm interested in that I want to learn about. But it's all kind of mired up in uh, just a history of bloodshed and erasure. That, yeah, and this is uh, not also it's not also ancient history. This is only within the past four hundred years. Mm -hmm. was, yeah, yeah, a lot of exactly. a lot of it more recently. Even. Yeah. yeah, yeah, extremely and, recent. Yeah. And the thing about well, I'm gonna <laughs> let me put on my little scholar hat for just a second, because um, yeah. <laughs> I I in, in preparation. Nice hat. Yeah, it's very nice. <laughs> it's designer. It costs about thirty thousand dollars a year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the interest. Cries. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Um, <clears throat> so um, I, in preparation, preparation for this uh, for this episode, I did come across a amazing uh, opinion piece by Dr. Sabello Lovu Gatcheni. I'm so sorry, doctor. Um, <laughs> uh, great opinion. I'm piece. sure the doctor is listening. Yeah, they wrote it in uh, Al Jazeera uh, exactly last year, February 2021. And the article is um, just an opinion piece. It might as well be an academic article um, called Moral Evil Economic Good, um, the Whitewashing of the Sins of Colonialism. Um, and I, it's basically the article I feel like I'm going to be referencing throughout this conversation um, because they specifically do talk about uh, col the colonization of African nations and the different facets of that. Um, one of the things that he does bring up in particular is the differences in terms because this opinion piece was written because um, Oxford proposed this um, ridiculous research project in 2017 um, that the UK should do a research project with the thesis that the history of the empire, in this case, British empire, as a historical phenomenon, distinct from like just taking it in and of itself was trademark good actually. And everyone was like, no. <laughs> Nah. You can't you can't take there is ethics wrapped up in that that you're not examining. So luckily it had the that same exact reaction. But, um but, but one Paula, of the things didn't colonization make all of us better? Oh my god, totally. <laughs> yeah, like, now now we have washing machines. Right. Oh my yeah. god. We like, would have just all been in totally grass shirts with bones through our noses if we did. Yeah, we no were washing everything machines. in the river <laughs> and then they taught us about electricity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, I don't it's, have it's, body yeah. issues about like what like my like face and my skin tone should look our like hair. or what my hair should look like. Yeah, well, for sure. I'm 
I mean, I'll just from just the cis white guy, uh, whatever. But I'll, I'll just say, like, traveling really opens your eyes as to how much whitewashing is done in the American education system when well, you yeah. realize that when you realize, oh, these other on other continents and other countries and completely different places, they were so far ahead of where they were in Europe, where they oh, were in God, the Americas. Yeah, like, I mean, this, all the South American empires, all the Southeast Asian and East Asian empires are probably better terms for that than I'm using oh, right now. But um, it, sorry. Um, but it's just, it's just amazing how this is completely washed over. And the, the term that keeps coming to my mind for both Carol and Paula, what, what you've been mentioning is generational trauma and ancestral trauma. Um, and specifically how th- due to due to this kind of assimilation, you're not even able to tap into what caused the trauma. When you go to a therapist or, you know, when you try and, you know, take steps to improve your mental health, as an individual, you're able to actually assess the history behind it. It's obviously a long, drawn-out process. But because of all of this trauma done over generations and millennia even sometimes, um, it just it, – it's this, like, feels unattainable. This is, um, this is some of the stuff that, that like, uh, yeah, go ahead. authors like uh, W.E.B. Du Bois would talk about. Uh, yes. yeah. yeah. I can't remember the exact phrase he would use, but the psychological wage of whiteness, I think. Yes. Might be what yeah. it's called. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it also that. comes out in, you know, in medical studies where, you, like, actual cells due to generational trauma and genocide um, are inexplicitly changed down to generations, right? Um, and one of the things that Dr. Gacchini, uh noted was when, when you're dealing with people who want to kind of rewrite history, um, we got to think about the difference, even in the terms of the differences between the term of colonization versus colonialism, in that colonization, um, folks who want to say that, oh, the, you know, the empire was good, actually, they are thinking of the term colonization in terms of colonization as a term just means the point of contact, like the point of when like colonization happened, like this country colonized this other country. I'm calling this episode colonialism, I'm assuming. Colonialism. (laughs) So colonization is the point of contact. And that's why some folks who confuse the two terms, especially white folks, um, just say like it happened once. Get over it. Or it was a ha- It happened. That was a long time ago. Yeah, a long time was... ago. You mean like our grandparents? Exactly. That was a. That it gets to those quotes of like it just it... happened there, or it just happened here. It's just this one part of history that happened, and we reversed it actually. Whereas we are living in a world where colonialism continues to be a thing. Exactly. And what he wrote in the article is that colonialism specifically, or technically he quoted uh, Peter Ecke, um, another professor uh, in Colon- who wrote this article about colonialism and social structures back in the 1980s, is that colonialism is the system of power that is multifaceted in character. It is the power structure that subverts, destroys, reinvents in particular, appropriates is another one and replaces anything that deems an obstacle to the agenda of colonial domination exploitation. So think of colonialism essentially as an all eating amoeba. And it also goes down, it also becomes kind of like 
it's rooted in the question, colonialism itself is rooted in the question of who does this world belong to? And in the case of who, in the case of white supremacy, it's white folks. This, so that only folks who are cisgendered, white, European, Eurocentric. Um, male. Male, correct, mm. are the very ones who can be deemed human. And therefore, and it's their human imperative as part of being human to colonize and conquer. Yeah, manifest destiny. Exactly. They are the ones that, because the world belongs to them. That is the idea. And so we often talk about how it's really clear, even in One Piece, that like each captain character, even the world government itself, defines what the world means for them. And they try to make the world in that image. So in the case of the world government, you're talking about how they themselves are that all eating amoeba. They are the world government. They are the ones who are who oversee these individual kings. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like what world is exactly. being represented in it? Yeah. Yes. Because when yeah. you see them, it's like the kind of fucks that you see like in Marineford and like all of those other places down on the red line that are just like mm, are just the world nobles themselves. Word. Like there's clearly a class structure and hierarchy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And. and uh, Go, go ahead, Carol. Yeah, you, you don't really get to see um, places like, for instance, um, uh, like Amazon Lily represented there, for instance. And yeah, yeah. it's it's uh, it really begs the question of like, who is part of the world government? And like, if it's that, well, that's the thing. They want to make it so that everyone is part of their world government, not every world government coming together. And there's a, I think there's a specific there's point a, I think they make on that, yeah. Yeah, there's and that's also like part of why there's the semantics of calling themselves a world government to sort of make them seem like oh it's the whole world included, but they're only just shrinking what possibilities of the world there are to just their own because that's the only viewpoint that they see beyond like their well, okay, um I I also want to bring up uh because we can't talk about colonialism in one piece without talking about the Skypea arc. Mm-hmm. And uh, before before you do, I just want to want we'll definitely talk about yes. Skypea. Don't worry. Okay. Yeah, but okay. I I just want to I think you hit a really good point there. And a lot of the the history and a lot of kind of the um, overarching kind of um, tension in one piece surrounds the fact that there is this all-seeing, all-knowing world government that was created out of literal whitewashing and sandpapering over history. We literally do, it's, it's you know, the same thing as what you all were talking about. We literally don't know what happened to bring them to this place where they could, you know, take over and, and spread their their gospel is the only gospel. What? The one hundred right. year gap. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Again, Real subverts, quick, I... destroys, reinvents, appropriates, and replaces. Yeah. Yes. Real and... quick, I just want to point out kind of like yeah. the strength of the narrative for One Piece, the fact that it does incorporate these themes. Uh, if I were to compare it to like most of the not just anime or manga, but like just uh, cartoon narrative fiction in general, the fact that like the world the one piece integrate the world government to operate this way and it feels so kind of like quote-unquote scare quote natural because it represents elements in society we see represented throughout history 
And that's and what really gives like a strong foundation behind the story and these characters. And it's so upfront. It is so, I think that yeah, even if the reader doesn't, even if the reader is the white cis, you know, whatever, you know, not affected by colonialism somehow on any level. Um, even if that person not affected exists, negatively, you mean I, everyone's you, affected by? I'm sorry, you're 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 right. That's that's <laughs> that is a good point. Um, someone who is not affected negatively by colonialism will still see the tyranny and all of the adjectives the adjectives that Paula used to describe the world government as a colonial power yeah, could still like, see that in them because yeah, it's so like everyone's, everyone's history, everyone's personal history can probably point to some mode of oppression that they might experience. If it's not through race and, and gender, it could be through class or, uh, you know, poverty. My cat's yelling at me. Uh, <laughs> but like, yeah, so it's easy when you see oppression in media to say like, oh, for I'm just like them. I can identify as this person because I had a bad day once or whatever, or someone was mean to me or et cetera, et cetera. But I had the fact a bad that, day once. <laughs> yeah, I had a bad day once. So I'm going to go blow up the post office. But uh, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> but like uh, it's the world we live in right now. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but like the fact that Oda himself went through and we'll obviously transition to Skypea that he rooted it in things that happens in our culture, even though this is a completely fictional fantasy world, I think was just a stroke of like, I'm glad he did that. It makes it fun. And that it's so pervasive. Shannon, sorry. Um, I want to say too, it's cool that like the most horrific, dangerous thing you can do to the world government is just try to investigate what happened and know your own history. <laughs> Right? Yeah. It's really cool. It's like the, with like censorship mm -hmm. and um, the way like any kind of colonial power just tries to erase and hide like, oh, that's a long time ago. That didn't happen. and doesn't teach it in schools and stuff. Uh, but yeah, the whole... it to the researcher. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, forever prescient. It, it feels like that 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 point. I mean, he really hammers at home. Like yeah. it's a big part of the story that's wrong. Well, not not out. just prescient because if it's prescient because it's going off of things that happen in the past and still happen. It's that it's something yes. that keeps repeating and yeah. reverberating all the time. Like there, it hasn't. It's not just that it was predicting. Oh, this is when this thing will happen. No, it's still happening. And I mean, he's, he's just yeah. correctly diagnosing like the patterns throughout history and culture. Um, yeah, as as the as the Jewish guy in the room, I'll say that it's just you know I I, f I feel like it is ingrained in us in you know Hebrew school and stuff to just look out for fascism, and although mo many of my Jewish counterparts do not see that for whatever reason when it's right in front of their nose, yeah, it still is you know you really see history's seeds repeating itself at all times. And it is really refreshing um, to see that done in any form of media in, in a in such a cautionary kind of way, like or such a realistic um, portrayal of it. I feel like I'm trying to think of like what other television shows um, have it as like such a such a constant backdrop. And I'm where sure there are many. It's not just the text; it's more the subtext. Yeah. I, I think it is completely the text in One Piece. Like, that's the... I, I think uh, Abby Denon, who's been on our show a lot, you know, did that meme where, you know, it's the, the Gundam meme where it's shooting over and it's like, war is bad, and oh, cool robot, that that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. The One Piece one being, 
uh, cool, stretchy dude. But when it's really about taking down, dismantling the, you know, colonial power, whatever it might be, you know, it's just so in your face. And that is the, uh, such a refreshing thing. In, in, only because I haven't finished it yet, yet. But I'm sorry, you know, Brian. More season left of The Expanse. That one's great about like accessing how we treat uh, uh, exploited power and uh, marginalized communities but in space mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that's what we need more of well there's um, certainly like a well as a quick little tangent there is certainly like a that's a very much a theme in you know space opera it's, it's yeah a theme that's of true colonization fair i it yeah, is which I is mean, great like, and to be able to explore that is amazing like yeah. even like in star wars it's literally called the empire and the stormtroopers which are <laughs> all things that are yeah. real and yeah, yeah it's yeah it's just a pervasive part of culture you know i was just watching rebels before this i should really have had that on the top of my brain um yeah <laughs> so I we should talk a really Shannon. topical, not necessarily with colonialism, but people trying to bury histories right now is Tennessee, where they're banning mouse and that whole yeah, very, yeah. very current Te- controversy. Texas as well, I was hearing. Texas There's a lot of, is major, uh, um, and quietly yeah. in Illinois, um, very quiet. Oh, no. There's there's stuff that's even like I mean, this is my bread and butter. Like yes. I'm, you know, access and librarianship and privacy and all that good stuff. Um, uh, and I mentioned before we started recording that I am in the middle of like a collection management, which is the bread and butter of being an information professor and particularly a librarian. And even then, even a lot of the past couple of years, thankfully, like most things in terms of in dealing with the Black Lives Matter and different uprisings all around the country, um, also re-examining the like all the book banning is happening in the midst of also the librarianship as a uh, as a profession is being reexamined for <laughs> for its whiteness for its classism even as we advocate for access and things like that so you know stuff that's been happening with <laughs> it's like we went from buying books in 2020 to banning books in 2021 and 2022. Also, Paula, I want to get your opinion on this because Mm -hmm. obviously the usually a right-wing reaction to Mm. uh, information or people equating or trying to gain more civil rights or access within the society Mm -hmm. always has this like backlash. Uh, Like we saw Mm -hmm. at the Nazi book burning, obviously uh, decades ago. But do you know if any of this also uh, has any connection to the fact that like libraries in general being kind of like one like it's a public service mm-hmm. it's, something it's, that's, it's essentially the last public very public public service right and um, like do you think that also has to do with maybe like corporations or people trying to like push out like public goods so it's like it's, oh, you yeah, don't need a library yeah. anymore just it's, go to google capitalism yeah. is a cool a tool of colonialism 100 so. yeah. yeah um yeah. it's well yeah again this is also part of a much greater conversation because librarians much like other places are burning out probably myself included um because we are one of the last bastions of social services in that um we're one of the only public spaces say other than the park that doesn't require you to um pay for anything just to exist in a space um you don't have to pay for anything to access information and and then because of that as the slow like defunding of social services, like actual social services, homeless advocates, 
um, and all these things that are 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 being defunded from just all around. The last one that's still around really is librarianship. And they're adding, tacking on social services to, I mean, Colbert had a whole uh, bit about it, <laughs> about how haven't we given librarians enough to do? Why are we making librarians who are not medically trained process COVID tests? Mm. Why are we making, and there was a huge, in 2020, when all public services were being, you know, quarantined and shut down, public libraries won't. Why? Why are we putting librarians, public, especially public librarians and school librarians, why aren't they, why were they the last ones to close down? And then there's constant um, Twitter, <laughs> comfort librarians on Twitter, you will, whew. Um, <laughs> there is one, I believe it was a, uh, a council member in Seattle, in Washington state, that says, um, why are public library buildings closing during a snowstorm? They're the last places for homeless um, as, as warming centers. We're like, librarians, are you making librarians like leave their houses as well to keep a building open? Why aren't you asking about actual, why aren't we building actual homeless yeah, well, or we have public support? Homes. Why, exactly. Why are we divesting in public homes as opposed to blaming librarians for being selfish and keeping the library building closed? And, and you know, and you know, they'll use that as like if a massive COVID outbreaks happen within libraries, they'll use that as a justification oh, to close them down and uh, yes. penalize them. And so further. there's always, and then there's, there's, so there's that we have um, a, Oh my God, of course I'm for sight black women. I totally forget Professor, is it Professor Kendricks? Yes, um, she had a 100% beautiful uh, research, very intense research on the low morale experience in librarianship, just because all, all we are the catch-alls for um, social services because we're the only ones essentially, it feels like publicly the only ones left and we can't be both the only bastions of public services and be completely like we're no longer relevant because google exists like we can't be both of those things yeah, <laughs> yeah and, as a profession and, un and unfortunately like a lot of like the going against like you know book banning and also just like regulation of like what gets to be in a library and stuff yeah i feel like you like it it it, it can't be like disassociated from colonialism because i feel mm -hmm. like one of the big instigators of it of it sort of accelerating at this particular moment was that every one in the right-wing sphere all of a sudden was going against critical race theory being taught in schools right and once they saw that they could turn that into a cultural uh dog flashpoint yeah. uh, and, and dog whistle for sure yeah. Like then all of a sudden they're like, oh, what else can we do? And now but, like they're because Carol, it makes it easy. But Carol, <laughs> they're going around telling white kids that they're racist. <laughs> Think about the white kids. Yeah, what about the white now? Um, I don't. Uh, I don't need to be told I'm racist. I already. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> right. Well, it's one of those like specifically for book banning. Um, again, this is like very much in the forefront of like my own because I have colleagues. I have librarian colleagues in Texas who are like public and school librarians, very much in the trenches of this. Um, if, if you want to look, look at the uh, freed, freedom, um, F-R-E-A-D-D-O-M. Um, Paula, you should send all, you should, 
you should send all these links so I could put them in I the will, description too. Yeah, I yeah. Will. But one of the things when it comes to book banning, because one, it is um, there is a very strong uh, fascist right wing movement that tells folks to you know run for stu- uh, for school boards in certain districts. School boards judge those things. We don't pay enough attention to local politics when it comes to things like that. Um, it makes it easier, and that is mostly to control the educational narrative and information access. Because when it comes to book banning, if you want to develop a generation that continues this definition of who gets to be considered human, fully realized humans, and who doesn't, you want to be able to educate, you want to be able to dehumanize people early. So when colonization happens again, you have a generation who already believes that, quote, those people are not human enough. Right. So you ban books talking about LGBT issues or uh, Black issues or Indigenous people's issues. And again, it goes back to what we saw, even specific, specifically the narrative for Robin and O'Hara, is that mm-hmm. when it comes to co- the country of O'Hara, it's the colonizer who wants to redefine their legacy. They don't want to be the baddies. So we're going to get rid of people who actually want to look and examine and confront those things. Yeah, there, there's just so much horror in the idea of like what the 100 year gap could be because yeah. it's just like if they really don't want people to know about it it's not going to be a oh it's going to reveal that aliens made the world no 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 it's going to reveal that the world government was made through bloodshed and toil and like yeah. i i actually it, like there's really um no separating like a sort of like law enforcement type of organization like the world government or even warlords of the sea those kinds of places um Mm -hmm. to with colonialization because um you know speaking of like you know we're talking a lot about like you know philippine uh colonial colonialism uh or the colonization of the philippines not that philippines were doing the colonizing sorry for the phrasing um uh, there's a, a really good uh, filmmaker, uh, a Filipino filmmaker named Lav Diaz, and he he. Uh, oh, I'm I'm so glad you know this. Good, good. Um, so he he makes like these like four hour like five hour movies that are about sort of like the ragings of colonialism taking part in Filipino culture. And I think uh, one of the ones that uh, really got me was um, he made a five-hour, 15-minute movie called Batang West Side. And I think that's his only movie that actually takes place in America, in Jersey. Uh, and it follows this Filipino-American detective sort of trying to investigate the murder of this Filipino teenager in Jersey City. And it starts off as just being like, oh, this is like The Wire, but in Jersey and with Filipino people. It, cool. And then as you get through it, uh, spoiler warning for this movie if you really want to see it, so please skip ahead if you don't want to know. Uh, By the end of the movie, like, he realizes that uh, the law enforcement that he is a part of uh, has only done more harm to this kid and his family than any of the actual, like, gangs that he was, like, getting into uh, he, we finally uh, learn in the very end that the main character we've been following used to be part of the Marcos Revolution Army and mm. that he was responsible for like murdering and like raping a whole lot of people. And he thought that if he went to America, he would escape the sort of uh, colonization that he was a part of. And instead, he only went into a new kind of colonization empire, mm. which is America. 
So it's like it's one it's one of those things where there there really is like people think of America as like this fashion like once you go there it's like a better country and that's a lot of the diaspora and really all America is is just um both the breeding ground and a testing ground for the new wave of colonialism. Yeah, and I I, I have a perspective on that simply because I'm one of the few groups of people who didn't get that choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and Blacks, uh, Africans specifically, and the Indigenous folks. Well, go ahead, like, our, if you want. like the people who educated me when I was growing up. I was very fortunate to have uh, uh, mostly women, but uh, a lot of people and teachers who came through the civil rights movement. So their level of like educating us, especially specifically going through mostly black and brown uh, elementary schools and high schools is the fact that they, even if beyond the curricula that they had to teach us through public education, they still made sure to focus that education based on a black and brown experience and uh, marginalized people experience, uh, especially in high school. But part of, the, part of that education was come through their own personal experiences. So they taught us like, Marcus Garvey, Malcolm X, W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, Eldris Cleaver, uh, was it God, Langston Hughes, all these people, and uh, and uh, Tanya Morrison. Uh, I'm just listening to black black authors right now. Yeah, no, that's great. But uh, but <laughs> even going. even with that, because you know, children are still children, and the prominence of a white uh, supremacist history, especially in America it's so deep and rooted like uh you're saying something uh, earlier Kara, and i probably you too paula about like uh not associating with your uh heritage in a way mm-hmm. well you carol specifically is the fact that like when i was a kid growing up even though i was mostly in school with other black kids if someone called you african that was fighting words yeah yeah straight yeah. up yeah fob was fighting words yeah yeah so it's it's very much a thing that is pervasive among like when we have to quote unquote assimilate, how does that reconcile with like not just like your um, physical appearance, but also like your cultural indications that you may have? Is like, do you have to ditch all those cultural stuff so that you can quote unquote fit in? And if you can't literally, like, I can't take off my skin. <laughs> so it's like, how, how, how else can I like operate in this world? And then you get a lot of weirdness that comes through that. I mean, yeah, <laughs> Carson, uh, sorry. Hmm. Did I say something? Yeah. Never mind. Uh, you got you got a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of weirdness going on when uh, they do try to assimilate and they kind of like take on. Oh, oh. Certain, like, <laughs> I didn't know which yeah. Carson you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, or Candace Owens, that fucking sellout. Uh, people take yeah. on a lot of, like bad and like it's it's the overcompensating to try to prove that like I'm not one of them. Uh, I think I, Brian, I, I, I we talked use about the phrase that. that we used to refer to like. Uh, I'm one of the slaves. good ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, well, we the, were, uh, the I, Sam minority? Jackson character from Django. That's the, that's the one. There it is. Oh, jeez, no. yeah. yeah. No, I think we that's talked about that. I remember talking about that way back when I saw you in LA like eight years ago now or whenever. Um, just the, I think it was Herman Cain at the time. Um, oh, yeah, he sucks but... too. And Alan <laughs> Keyes, all the fucking... Black Alan Republicans Keys. are just awful. It's my cat. Jewish, Owens, Jewish Republicans. Saying she <laughs> thinks the moon landing was faked on Twitter. 
yeah that weird I mean, conspiratorial <laughs> that's unrelated I mean, to anything but i was like what? no I'm, well well i <laughs> i have a i have a whole history because like i i was raised by uh some very uh very conservative very kind of racist family members even though we were technically people of color we were also just like we there was a lot of conservatism in certain filipino american households due to the pervasiveness of catholicism and if you worship any jesus of any kind you might be more into the whole right-wing sphere mm. of media and totally. that's a huge problem but um i like like i remember like my mom would always talk about um how she immigrated the right way and Oof. everyone else, like all all of the other people uh, who are like getting busted at the border or whatever, uh, they all immigrated the wrong way. And they're actually making it harder for someone like her. And I think when I think this is another thing that assimilation does is that it pits uh, yeah. us against each other in order to because if you want to be a model minority then you have to distance yourself from the minority in order to be the model that's like rising above it. Right. And when that happens, it's like, it it's a very coy way of making sure that all these marginalized people aren't working together, creating a coalition. And instead they're just talking about like, no, you need to follow these rules, the ones that the oppressors set up. Right. And as but as long as you follow them, you won't be oppressed. So it's just your fault that you're being oppressed. Yeah, it, it's, it's like, like yeah, no, that proximity to whiteness is a bitch. <laughs> it's a bitch. It, um, it, it, it feels like those people who think that, oh, I'm going to be a billionaire one day. So we shouldn't tax billionaires like that kind of right. like mentality. It's, it's yeah, like, like I'll be I'll be considered one of the white people. And I also like, think part of that, especially with the uh, uh, migrants and immigrants, is the fact that like you're also on a more precarious, precar I, I'm not saying that word correctly. Uh, you can be also yeah. a more precarious position because of your status in the country is so tenuous versus people like uh, like my ancestors who, you can't say I haven't been here for, I, my family's long, here longer than Trump's was, <laughs> but I still don't get the, 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 the quote unquote privilege of being considered a full American simply because right. of my ethnicity. So like black people in the civil rights struggle when they when they got to a point where it was like you can't kick us out you can't tell us what to do <laughs> then we be, then we get to be called uppity but like if you're a recent immigrant it's like it's a little harder to kind of like want to like tear down and buck that system in some capacities um one of the again one of the things that one of the books that i'm definitely going to link you on is really great is dr erj david's um very formative book uh he's a doctor of psychology filipino a doctor of psychology. Um, it's called Brown Skin, White Minds, the Filipino slash American, Filipino-American post-colonial psychology. And it's basically his very much magnum opus on how much colonialism has uh, affected uh, Filipino uh, communities um, on a psychological level, um, how much uh, self-hatred and self-image uh, self issues are so ingrained in that colonial mentality. Again, the mm -hmm. colorism of our skin, our nose bridges, the way we speak, um, that wanting to, that proximity to whiteness of being a model minority and what happens if you don't live up to that? 
what happens if like you're um and how to and how kids in the diaspora um again going back to Zorro getting yelled at for not using <laughs> for not giving back the sword in particular and how he didn't respect it because it belonged to Wano and he didn't understand that but then how can you say that to this character whom we know is one of despite how bloodthirsty it's in terms of like just how cool his fights are a very beloved character but he's getting yelled at by elders who think he doesn't respect the culture enough and yeah and it's not even that he was given the chance it's like exactly never was taught tagalog so even if i wanted to ask someone from the philippines like hey what's what's going on with like indigenous culture in the philippines I wouldn't be able to understand yeah. them unless I took a full-on language course. And that, an right. ex of mine, and, she was she's and, like second generation Mexican, mm-hmm. but like her her parents also didn't teach her Spanish at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and it's just like uh, I I lost what I was gonna say. Anyway, you guys continue. <laughs> we <laughs> should talk a little bit. We, oh, Paula, go ahead. I, I do want to go to Skype at some point because yes, I, I, like, I don't want to forget. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel like I have so many like book lists. Again, there's um, there's another one called The Work of Mothering, the Globalization in the Filipino Diaspora and how gender plays into um, like because women make up the majority of the Filipino like workforce laboring overseas. And that goes mm-hmm. into Carol when you talk about your mom, about how she emigrated the white way and um so much of like diaspora and but we're both connected to our parents in understanding what our original culture was and how they define it for us but also separated because we are physically separated from those cultures as well and so you know when we think in terms of thinking about uh skypea and not understand like even them not not that (laughs) was it like they didn't know that like the ground something about like yeah. the differences with the ground like this is actual ground as opposed to like cloud or something and not understanding even the mechanics of like the place that they live in even though that's where they live yeah mm-hmm. yeah i and and they so i i mean this 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 whole topic you know going through it you realize i th- i think you called it people who benefited and it's absolutely correct people who benefited from colonialism it's crazy how pervasive it is in everyday life and every facet of everyday life and you know how how do you break that cycle and i think that is an interesting thing that skypea brings to try and weave it into that um and the pervasive generational trauma and how colonialism affects the generational trauma um and you know I think in Skypea specifically pitting people who thought they had a right to something that they didn't with people who are lost, who kind of have lost a lot of that identity. I think, as you said, is, is, you know, I, I think very um, apropos to many, um, many cultures and many civilizations over the course of time, I think, you know, Native American history certainly is something that comes into mind with Skypea, but I think we also discussed mm-hmm. the Ainu in um, in Japan. Mm-hmm. I think Paula yeah. last. I think yeah. it might have been the last time you were on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, thinking about um, in terms of the, the Native folks in Skypea, 
um, again, going back to um, Dr. Gacheni's article in Al Jazeera, um, he brings up things uh, kind of like those roadblocks of development of what happens to colonized um, to colonized nations. Because though you know, when you think about continents like the countries in Africa, the Philippines, of course, Latin America. Um, all the different Pacifica islands, um, though, and even obviously our own uh, North America, indigenous folks there have born with and created valid legitimate knowledge systems that enable them to survive as people and to the benefit of their environment, to the world that they live in, they invented the tools and the knowledge systems and to organize themselves socially, like within their own terms. I mean, you see that even as far back as obviously in the African nations, in Egypt, we have, we completely, you know, romanticize Egypt, but that is an African nation mm-hmm. that created the knowledge system in their own terms. And it is a success story of people utilizing the envi- the indigenous environment around them. And so when you think about uh, colonization, the act of colonization as a way, as things to interrupt that and the way that again, destroys and reinvents and um, that all eating amoeba moment, um, you create things that keep he also brings up like there are like four four kind of journeys to colonial um entrapment like the first being like you take folks out of their indigenous realm and like kind of disseminate them throughout so you rob the indigenous labor force from from the original country and then you extract the um that extractivism that they extract the natural resources for capital and so you and then the third zone was that was it was called like the labor reserves you inaugurate the settler colonial like um government in that place and then even if you have that act of revolution where they politically free themselves from the colonizing power it doesn't mean that they're decolonized completely because there's right. those countries are still unable to create the again re, reconstruct the system that on their own terms they're they're continually going to be devalued um, because of white supremacy culture values and um, even in the in it's hard to extract yourself from colonizing economies because like now we're talking about colonization by debt. A lot of um, quote poorer nations or quote third world nations are like that because they are literally indebted to the colonizing powers. It's like, oh yeah, we'll leave, but you owe us all this money for giving you structure. Yeah, and now they're not even just doing that to quote unquote third world nations. They're doing it within like uh, white supremacist nations. Correct. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, correct. Yeah, we'll yeah. give you school, but you know. You uh, kind that's when they had to test real, it out though. on the rest oh. of us first before they knew how to do it to the Greeks. Totally. <laughs> so, like, again, you were even talking about um, land back movement in um, North America, in particular, um, and even like even advocates, like not like non native advocates for those movements, are saying like, "Oh, they can take care of it better." Whereas Indigenous folks are just like, "Okay, just because you don't give it to us when you after you wreck it, 
we we have our own knowledge of that they're not like the proto versions of you know reduce reuse and recycle like they are their own valid legitimate system that needs to be taken and valued on its own and be able to thrive in that space and they haven't been able to do that because we're constantly under that bubble and so when i think about like the folks again when you connect it to skypea like, so like the argument is like, oh, we created this, we created that, like, don't like we created it quote better. It's like, no, you, you, you aren't able to take that. There's so many examples <laughs> in one piece where they're not allowing like a nation to just allow them to define themselves in their own terms. Uh, yeah. And the Shandorians um, are are exactly that they are affected by the every pillar of colonialism that you mentioned um you know exploited used um and then at the end of that arc they're kind of like i'm trying to remember exactly i need to reread skypea but i think they kind of like okay we'll share we'll coexist but i mean like the damage I mean, not it's, some of it is done by just external forces, obviously, the island being thrown into the sky. But then they're also, you know, their resources are pillaged. They're thrown out of their homes. They're and, and continuously um, ab- abused by others. Um, and there's not really we don't really get a you know, a cap on that because there can't really be, you know, well, there can't be a happy ending there. The, yeah. The arc, that part of the arc ends basically after Nanel like uh, destroys uh, Angel Island. That's true. Yeah. So it forced so then it, like, yeah, it basically yeah, forced the colonizers to like, yeah. deal directly with the Shandorians on that one piece of land that they still have up there. Yeah. It's, I, I think it really presents a lot of unique, looks at you know a, a unique look at at that at that problem because obviously the Shandorians are you know um put into this awful situation but then the Skypeans um are also put into a similar situation at that same time um and you know I guess kind of having to having to face your history like that is something um we don't often get in the real world even even when we should we see Uh, that too in like the story of wano because you're dealing with folks who are not or that um forced one that kind of like forced migration of people who are escaping of the folks who left who needed to leave wano as a form of revolution um and also you have again that exploitation of labor of basically the population the severe exploitation of that um you see amongst like uh the human experiments of that was it the laugh gas <laughs> what is uh, it called? smile fruit. smile 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 fruit yeah yeah it was almost there <laughs> yeah there we go we got it <laughs> something that was that feels so innocuous and yet so horrifying yeah. Yeah, I forgot um, about that, that. That part more than anything kind of remind me of the smallpox blankets. Yes. Where it was like, oh yeah, these yeah. people were in Wano. It was like they're starving, so they had to eat anything, even if they knew it'd have adverse side effects. There's no telling if they still would have like rejected the food they eat. 
similar if you like if people are cold or if you make them or if you exploit their labor or force them to work and then you give them blankets it's like well i'm gonna take that blanket because i'm cold yeah yep mm-hmm. there's also <laughs> I, um in in the skypea arc i think it sort of shows an example of what happens when there is a kind of accidental kind of colonization that's like quote-unquote well-meaning but like just like kind of uh, misunderstands and it's because of like cultural divides of course it's the whole thing where uh, noland wants to cut down the trees because of right. the, the curse the the plague that they bring up even though he doesn't know that they are sacred to the people in their culture and it, it causes that rift between them because they're like they know that that is considered this immense slight like they can tell when there is something that is colonizing and even something like that which was very well-meaning of course because he had like you know the context of like using his scientific instruments or whatever it's like that still didn't give you the right to cut down those trees without uh, consulting them so on and so forth and I feel like you get a lot of that in the humanitarian boom of like the 70s and 80s God. where you have a whole <laughs> lot of people going into impoverished countries trying to help and it only just causes more harm than good. And it's because at the end of the day, there are just some things about another culture that you have to accept that you don't understand and you can learn everything about them, and even mingle amongst them. And you're just going to be at an impasse because there's a lived experience that you didn't have. I mean, that also comes back, even like the the news story about how, I forget which, oh God, I feel awful, which island it was um, that a group of uh, Mormon missionaries brought COVID to that island. Oh, I I, I remember And then you cannot, like if I face palm, like I'm, I will have a bruise on my face. Mm-hmm. Like, I like think... you can't really come up with a, a better parody of this kind of thing than just writing that Mormon missionaries brought COVID to an island that like it was completely yeah. isolated. It was they were totally fine. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, maybe even like a better analogy. The the well meaning, the, the well, I guess you know I. Not to get into the Mormon's head, I'm sure they, you know, thought that that was a great idea, but, <laughs> but like in in Tonga, for example, where there was the huge super volcano recently that yes. that did that has done a ton of damage. They have gone through this entire pandemic. We were saying this entire fight together series has been during COVID, and they've gone through this entire time without, I think, maybe one or zero cases of covid the entire time but of course people are coming into for humanitarian purposes because there was a catastrophe um and you know doing harm or you know i i think it is it is fantastical you know to think that someone like noland with pure expectation with pure um you know going in with pure desire to to help exists in the real world i think even people with that I think people who come, you know, especially during the, when colonialism was at its most rampant um, in the 19th and 20th century, not not that long ago, but I, I think people who are going in with good, um, you know, uh, reasons, well, yeah, well, still did tons 
tons of damage. Well, even within with within the Nolan and Caligar flashback, we get that example when Nolan goes yes. back to um, his kingdom. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh god. Oh, I forget. You, even though it didn't happen because of the uh, the knockup stream, we knew what yes. the result of that was going to be. Nolan was yeah. like, "Hey, these ties are cool. Let's go. Let's. Go. I want to go hang out again." And the actually, like, you're no, absolutely let's go right. Get those resources. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and yeah, it. I. I I feel weird saying it's refreshing to see that honesty and realism. Um, I, I, and maybe it's just grounds his work. I mean, it, it goes back to what I think about when Tolkien talks about applicability as opposed to um, just direct, what was it? Not direct metaphor. What am I talking about? Allegory? Yeah, you're you're dealing with themes that are applicable to things, and when you ground that in lived experience, true lived experience and reality, I mean, it's clear in Oda's writing in terms of the themes that he was exploring, that and that we are able to create these one almost one to one comparisons in various different ways. That he has a sense of applicability in his understanding of how the world, the one that we live in, continues to operate. Yeah, it's like an ability to see the things that make the world tick and continue to go around the same with with the same issues that continuously history is doomed to repeat itself if you don't remember it, but we keep forgetting. Um, It's but at the same time, it is absolutely, you know, something I feel like maybe it's just the sandpapering over history generally in our education <laughs> system, but you know, I, f- I feel like we keep missing the same things coming up over and over and over and over for centuries. I, will, I mean, I will say like it is the, the, the one sliver of the, the silver lining I do cling to is the fact that we are talking about this in a sense, there is a, um, as much as these things are happening there, the reaction to it, so far, at least in some sense, feels like a proper reaction in that, whoa, something's wrong and this needs to be examined. We don't know how, but it needs to be examined. Um, And it's really easy to um, get lost and I can't believe this is happening, but like also see some of the hope in that the way we're reacting. I'm like, we know this is wrong. We need to be able to talk about why this is wrong. We need to be able to frame the way why this is wrong and even like as we talk about the- yeah it's like it's a far cry from when in germany people were like yo burning books is sick yeah like <laughs> you this should is do dope. this every day <laughs> <laughs> i mean the visibility of it is is intense and you know even yeah. we who are part of understanding that hey this shit's not great um need to be able to take time and separate ourselves just a little bit and know what we what we can do and it's interesting too, as we're talking about Skypea, when I, I do want to bring it back to Wano just a little bit, because I am holding a book that I've been meaning to read and I haven't gotten it yet. It's called Fighting from a Distance, How Filipino Exiles Help Topple a Dictator. Um, it's by, I'm so sorry, Dr. Fuencelia. I think I get that right, Jose Fuencelia. Um, Again, like Carol's <laughs> doing research yeah. on on her background, I'm doing the thing where I'm buying a bunch of academic research because even in academia, being BIPOC is like a struggle because academia yeah. is a very white space. Um, <laughs> um, but it, this research in particular talks about folks who are able to overthrow Ferdinand Marcos in the Philippines. And a lot of them were Filipino Americans who brought demonstrations 
and um, you know uh, testified in front of Congress about the um, about the Marcos regime and the oppression that the Marcos regime placed. Marcos being instilled by American supporters. Exactly. <laughs> America is a colony. Uh, had yeah. colonies and even the way the u.s first acquired both america and puerto rico and because they couldn't say we're colonizing them we're not an american empire so the way that congress i forget historically when exactly they said this was definitely after the spanish-american war the, Fil- the philippines i the think Fil- it was it was, it was theodore the- roosevelt i think so it's yeah they probably- uh, uh the, 1908-ish something, something like that, like that. early turn of yeah. the century yeah. um that the way they were able to keep both Puerto Rico and the Philippines as a colony, but not really a colony, is that they are foreign in the domestic sense. Yeah. Uh, And I'm like, what the F? (laughs) What does that that mean? Yeah, like that's changing the language in order to be like, in order to repeat history, because it's like, oh, now we have the terms for colonization. So as long as we don't call it colonization, then right. it won't be listed under colonization. It's like, exactly. oh, cool. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, it, yeah. And speaking of repeating, if you relabel things, it's not technically repeating history. It's infuriating <laughs> yeah. that, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. And we see that in terms of like the exiles from Wano who are trying to topple what's his face? Um, ah! Oh, Orochi? Orochi, who is in, yeah. uh, installed there by a foreign power and supported by the world government. Mm-hmm. Um, and things like that. And so, and like, I wish I read this book <laughs> before we talked about this, but it's been sitting on my desk for a while. We'll, like, we'll do a follow-up <laughs> at some point, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Why why not? But it's inter- <laughs> yeah, and for me, it's interesting, again, when we're talking about um, colonialism as a way to like disperse the indigenous labor force or indigenous population or to extrapolate natural resources and exploit that. I mean, we see it very clearly in Wano. And what are the actions of the revolutionaries? Sometimes they have to work from the outside. And a lot of that also, Mm -hmm. too, is when I think about, you know, folks like Carol and I, when it comes to Filipino-Americans, like reclaiming their identities and what that identity means to us. Um, Even the brief, like, intro that I read from this book, from Filipinos Exiled uh, Marcos, like even the Filipino activist groups in the United States didn't get along with each other at all. It was hard to get a unified um, message across. And when we also think about um, the term Asian American, Asian American is a political term, but there are so many nuances to um, that identity. Like, like, yeah, South, like again, Southeast Asians are not very, um, uh, represented in that asian american because when you think about asian americans as a model minority like yeah asians are all rich like crazy (laughs) crazy rich asians is like uh, a stereotype of that so they're not oppressed they're super close to whiteness when you you know when you talk about um illegal immigration sometimes that comes from people who are from laos sometimes that comes people from the philippines um and one of the really I think really strong advocates for California um, uh, undocumented folks is a Filipino undocumented author who I totally forget the name of, but I will drop it in the show notes when it happens. <laughs> so you, it's Paul. interesting to see the way that specifically plays out in Wano when you have all these people who have been exiled 
from Wano to come back and reclaim their roots and how much being outside changed that. And just by the existence of being outside and kind of like reclaiming what Wano means, reclaiming what this means and but allowing yourself to, it's kind of treating yeah, like diaspora like, as your form of revolution. Yeah, because this this is another thing. It's like uh, at the like even though colonization is, you know, awful, it still stemmed from people who wanted to like, you know, explore the world and explore other cultures. And it shows that like there is another side to like when you're actually exploring cultures but you're actually creating understanding with them and not trying to control them that the that all of these exiles from Wano they come back and they they want to share the knowledge and experience with the rest of their country and they it, it's it's the whole other side of the coin and the opening and it's their also borders too yeah. yeah opening their borders and it, and even then it's also like interesting that like the the leader that wants to like enclose Wano is someone who was installed by the yeah interesting um <laughs> yeah um there there's something i want to bring up uh that i feel like doesn't get talked about as much when we're talking about when we talk about colonization we talk about like a lot of you know genocide a lot of erasure of history and yeah, just the general bloodshed of it all uh one thing that doesn't really come up is that there is such thing as uh eco-colonization just like in terms of like you know the way that world ecologies change from the facet of colonization so i live in california and before california was the ground for like people in like the spanish wars against like you know mexicans because california originally belonged to mexico and a lot of other central american people um but uh Apparently, uh, one of the, one thing that I learned recently about California was that um, our ecology, it like like we're all everyone's talking about um, all of the wildfires happening in California. I know where you're and going. People like this. to I just yeah, this out a, too. <laughs> people like to think of that as a climate change thing, which that's a huge part of it. It is, mm. but at the same time, um, it's not because literally. I learned that 60% of the plants that grow in California that natively grow nowhere else in the world. And it, it, we have unique weather conditions and, and like there's a, there were a lot of different ways that the indigenous people of California would have controlled fires. We had different kinds of flora that could only germinate through fire and they would only activate their seeds unless there's contact with fire and controlled burns. And then Spanish colonialization brought out invasive species, uh, like with like invasive seeds, invasive hay, invasive, like, and then even like the kinds of horses that would like make manure. And then the manure would create different soil that just completely Fs with the ecology of it. Uh, this is actually something that is brought up in One Piece as well. When some, there is a country that creates dance powder mm. in the Alabasta arc, oh, yeah. and they create Alab they create dance powder because it's like, hey, we want to make rain in a place where there's no rain. That's cool. And then what happens is that it causes droughts in other countries. Yeah, and then they have to make it illegal that no one can do this. Yeah, and it's it's a huge huge issue. 
that like even even so much as introducing like some sort of different substance to it can irreversibly change a landscape like that's already hard enough when you've got people from different places like you know accidentally doing something like that but when you have colonization purposefully reshaping a land it always comes back to bite it in the ass when you get stuff like the wildfires in California because usually yeah. all of the controlled burns allowed it so that the fuel buildup in our soil would be fed by controlled burns. And now there's, since there's been no controlled burns for a while, all of a sudden everything is going up in flames here in California. And it's like climate change, like everything else, is entangled in colonialism because when you get right down to it, like how ecosystems work also winds up being controlled by the people in power and and for a series about exploration like one piece it is very i think it's very interesting and humbling and, and and good to look at the how places are affected when we go i i always think of i think it was a radio lab or something on the galapagos islands and the fact that you know, a stray goat or something that was brought, you know, by some explorer in the late 19th century, completely eradicated, you know, certain species of something, you know, because, you know, what what we do makes ripple effects, you know, not just through time, but also in um, in the places that in, we visit. In the land. And, in the land, yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, one, one piece, you know, inherited will certainly, you know, so going, you know, how things uh, trickle through time and affect through time, the generational trauma that colonialism has. Um, and also the, the fact how, you know, as you mentioned, dance powder, but also how things are so negatively affected by, you know, the world government, uh, be it in Wano with Udon and the, you know, they, or um, the Abisu town or wherever it is where the, they just strip every, all the resources and everything's poisoned and you can't eat anything or, you know, nothing is yeah, usable. Yeah. Um, like that kind of stuff is due to colonialism. It, for there, I mean, t- it was made by conscious happened. decisions. It wasn't decisions just, oh, to make weapons. Because- which is also because that's another that thing. Like one of the things you see from climate accelerationists in the right wing is that oh well, climate is supposed to change. It just like like no, it. You, the only reason why you think that is because you're the one that's always changing the climate intentionally, <laughs> and you don't know it. And but well, yeah. yeah, some people don't know it, and some people obviously very much do. And yeah, it's a it's a, it's a whole thing. I think one of the things that definitely is a very much a key to examining both. Uh, colonialism and the way it the one piece kind of deals it is as in the end the end game for colonialism in terms of its goal is that when you go when a dominant um, colonizing power goes to a place the end game is always how can we make that place not exist on its own but only exist to benefit us and so when you, mm. when I think when there's certainly we can name off almost every arc <laughs> in one yeah. piece yeah. as, as the, that's the end game of the baddies of one piece 
It was like, how can I take wherever I landed and make it work for me? <laughs> how, it, it, like you stop existing on your own. You stop existing and I treat you as your own person, as your own identity, as your own thriving, valid identity. What can you do to benefit me? What I if think that's all of why the we doctors lo- worked for me? What if all <laughs> the people who dissented against me were turned into toys? Stuff exactly. like that. Yep. I think yep. that's why we love Luffy so much is that when he goes into a place, he doesn't think about how this works for me. He thinks, why isn't this working for the people of this why country? Why isn't this fair? Yeah. Right. Why? Yeah. The, why can't you do what you want? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the freedom to be able to do what you want. And yeah, I think it's that combination of that the found family of the Straw Hats representing people who weren't able to to find that in in their in their homes um but also representing the places where they did come from i think it's at, at least there is the hopeful silver silver lining we're trying to find i think in in all of this i think yeah. you know one piece does I, I i think the end game i hope the end game of the series is to try and strive for that better world, that free world for where people could be who they want to be and um, be diverse in their backgrounds and opinions and being and not just all be assimilated into this gargantuan uh, behemoth that probably, as Carol put it, you know, has a lot of bloodshed behind it and... Mm -hmm. You know, even if it, even if at the beginning of it, it had the best of intentions, which is very unlikely, um, you know, it obviously has morphed into something that is oppressive and seeing um, heroes or I should say protagonists uh, who are trying to to change, trying to change that the little bit they can challenge it. Yeah, that's a better way to put it. I mean, that's Um, what I love most about one piece when i i mean we didn't even touch on fishman island and the effects of colonialism in there and and how they dealt with their like how they've been specifically dehumanized i mean we've definitely touched y'all have definitely touched upon that in previous um fight together episodes as well in terms of how fishmen specifically are dehumanized and you you psychological impacts on psychologically are long and what Mm -hmm. it like turned him into you know, oh, there you go. Yeah, again, yeah, like that. I get one hundred percent. Read Dr. David's Brown Skin White Minds. Mm-hmm. It one hundred percent changed my mind about it, it. Allowed me to give. I will say that particular book, just on a personal level, gave me the words to understand. I'm all like, oh, that's why I hated myself for so long. <laughs> it's not my fault. <laughs> it's all these other words. All these. Other I always have so many books to. I, I always have so many books to read after Paula comes on. That's. <laughs> <laughs> good (laughs) no i know Um, it's good i just need the time (laughs) yes totally i'm with you um but in terms of what i was saying and if um maybe even to wrap up a thought what i love most about the protagonist of one piece and the and luffy in particular on how he is so adamant of just the freedom to do whatever you want how much of decolonialism and decolonization of your own self and reclaiming that identity piece. Like, yes, I still struggle with being like Pinoy Pride (laughs) and all all the things, but that's why I read books by Filipino academics. This is how I engage with 
my history and understanding that. And it allows me, it gives me the vocabulary and that I find joy in seeing myself in the spaces that I occupy um, and mirroring that. And in that joy, in that uh, levity of drinking with my friends and finding my found family, that in particular is revolutionary. It is um, rebellion, like pure rebellion to find joy in that. And even as us, as we talk about very, very heavy topics, at the end of the day, if we continue to point out the very heaviness of things, when we don't um, find a way to make activism pleasurable and a joyous experience, it doesn't become sustainable. And that's why I think too, that when a lot of the books that are being banned are, most books are people are by, you know, people with marginalized identities who end up finding joy in that, marginalized identities, finding love in that, because that's what keeps it alive and sustainable and keeps it going. And that's dangerous. And that's rebellious <laughs> because you find- Yeah, that's why it's so important that this is a series about pirates because yes. it's like there there yeah. is such thing as goodness outside of the system. In fact, it's imperative that there that there are good people outside of the system that are able to rebel in that sense mm -hmm. and that the kinds of people that you think of as criminals or as outlaws actually have like the, not only noble intentions but also come from all these different kinds of backgrounds and are in these lives through all sorts of different um origins and like reasons and oppressions that they all sort of bear together and that's one of the beauties of it is yeah. that it's it's basically a whole shonen series about understanding oppression, where it comes from, and how to combat it. Yeah, I think freedom is the is the key word. It, it's I mean that's Luffy's dream at the end of the day, and yeah, that's what I want to see the end goal to be for One Piece. It's that joy in finding and living who you are. He he opens the treasure box. It just says you're free. Oh, <laughs> um, no, he turns into Riccio from the story of Ricky. Oh God, <laughs> you're all free now. Break open the prison. <laughs> um, any? I feel like that's a very good place um to leave it. But do do any of you have final thoughts? I don't want to. It's it's been a great conversation. That it was a great discussion. Yeah, uh, only because like. Paula just barely brought it up. I did want to, and then kind of buttressing something Carol's initially talking about, about identity, is in Fishman Island, I thought as far as like assimilation goes, it's a really interesting um, kind of like double, and for lack of a better term, but you academics would understand what I'm saying, uh, <laughs> double consciousness. Yes. The fact that the fishmen wanted to basically live with the humans or at least live on the surface where the humans right, right, are right. so that they were no longer want to be uh, where the people are yeah <laughs> and then uh but also it was a very important theme because of the hatred that was carried through through arlong and to hody jones that uh uh fukuboshi the prince said we need to return our history to zero yeah not the history per se but like the history of hatred and and that I think is uh, at least like with notions of like uh, blackness in American society, 
I mentioned earlier how like if you, someone was calling you African, African, it'd be like an insult. And part of that is like definitely structural white supremacy, but also another part of that is like, because we were so, and for again, lack of a better term, efficiently removed from our culture in America, that we weren't allowed to carry over any of our languages. We weren't allowed to carry on over most of our cultural practices. Uh, our names were taken from us. Our history was taken from us, partly because like, um, we weren't allowed to bring the things that were important and contribute to our history, but also because they it actively separated ourselves. We were mixed up, families weren't kept together, children were taken from their parents, et cetera, et cetera. So the fact that like growing up in this society, the, na the notion of like, I, I, I actually had this conversation with a friend of mine a little while ago, a couple of months ago, but it's actually a little liberating. I know a lot of people won't feel this way, but it's actually sometimes liberating to not have an attachment to an idea or culture, instead make up your own. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, African-Americans specifically have had that rooted in the American identity because of the fact that like, you took our history, you took our culture, you took our language, we're gonna make up some because we need yeah, to have so. some sort of attachment. And that's where the notion of like, race and being raced comes from because like we were raced like we were basically told you are black even though I was like no I was initially from this tribe I was initially from this continent I was initially from this part of the world I initially had this association but you removed all that from us so I'm gonna make up a new one and and part of that like uh, Paul was saying that active uh, rebellion that's revolutionary is the fact that like even when we do that even when everything's taken from us and we have essentially nothing for periods, if not for generations in this country, we still persist, we still maintained an identity that no matter what, how we choose to express ourselves, it was always considered like radical or dangerous yeah. or less than even in some cases, even though like we influence, because of that, we we're influenced like culture around the world. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always thought that like notion of returning into nothing, like some people think like, like uh, the truckers in Canada right now, at least the oh, ones who are speaking for uh, a few of them. There was a video of the dude. He was talking about how uh, he, he's doing the white supremacist uh, uh, theory about like, oh, they're trying to uh, eliminate our culture because they're trying to make us breathe with other people. <laughs> and I'm like, these like, people boy, are no. so afraid, <laughs> so afraid of just losing something, quote unquote, scarecrow. So I was like, you're not counting what you have. And because you have no sense of history, you're not counting mm -hmm. where you where you also came from. And to me, that's the most tragic thing of all. Like, yeah. it's one thing to have your history removed from you. But then yeah, when, you, when you actually have access to your history, you still don't know it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then and then like so much of white culture is that people think of whiteness as just not like its own race, but rather an absence of race. And everyone else has like ethnicities, whereas white people are just a default state. Right. Yeah. And I think that's Bingo. what yeah. leads to white culture's whole um denial about their history is that they if they can't accept it then they'd rather have nothing they'd rather be nothing yeah but and, that and they're also so kind of eats away at their soul they, yeah they knew what it what it did to us but i was like we adapted we survived 
are you really so afraid to like not have whatever this uh, pumped up notion of uh, superiority that you guys have cultivated for so long? Yeah, it's because what else yes, have they, they known are. otherwise? What, yeah, exactly. what do they know otherwise? Right. So, which <laughs> yeah. is wild to think about. Um, it is not not to bring up another book recommendation, but yes, please read Pleasure Activism, The Politics of Feeling Good by Adrian Marie Brown, wonderful black liberation feminist justice um, activist. I've read like three of her books already and it's fantastic. And it really does talk about how you make social justice more a pleasurable experience because yes, these topics are hard. They're a downer, <laughs> um, so, but so is, you know, healing, but the real revolutionary change is when you get that end of party when you get that end of the day party and you're drinking with your friends and feeling the freedom that a hard-fought revolution even if just like I'm, I'm here I exist and I'm going to take pleasure in my existence and define it however I want to define it for myself and that is beautiful if that's not the most one piece sentiment to end this on, I, I can't I can't think of <laughs> one more. Bravo. Yeah, um, I could I, I feel like we could definitely go on for significantly longer. This is such a ripe topic, such a personal topic. And I really can't say enough how much I appreciate um, being able to just just listen to all of you. Um, and. Every time I do this podcast, I'm reminded how amazing it is that I get to do this podcast with such, you know, such amazing guests. Um, so I'll, I'll go around. Paula, where could where could people find you and uh, a list of books you recommend? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll drop it in the show notes. Um, uh, I want I want someone to take a picture, by the way, of all the books. <laughs> I, I will recommended. totally give it to you. I will totally give it to you. <laughs> um, so you can find me on Twitter. My my Twitter handle is very easy. It's at Polygatos. Um, I will be starting, speaking of books, I will be starting a new podcast um, this year with a friend of the show, Grant. Yay. Uh, Grant the Thief. Yay. And we're going to be, um, it's essentially a book club. We're going to be tackling uh, genre literature, sci-fi, fantasy, and specifically TTRPGs, tabletop RPG, and reading through some of different systems and different modules and examining them as forms of literature and the influence thereof. So it totally, it's going to be called uh, Adventure Tomes. Um, you can find the Twitter handle at ADV Tomes Podcast. Finally, a good podcast out there. Oh. Uh, <laughs> It's self, it's self-deprecating. Uh, thank you, Paula. I'm looking forward to that. That sounds awesome. Um, Carol, where could people find you? Um, you can find me at on Twitter at Carol Avery Grant. That's C-A-R-O-L-A-V-E-R-Y Grant, which is just spelled as it sounds. Um, I am currently just working on a whole lot of projects that I hope will finally be produced because I've got... I've got something that has a director attached. We're very Ooh. excited. And uh, Congrats. yeah, just uh, we're, we're really, really uh, fingers crossed on it. And then uh, also, um, if you want to read any of uh, my, some of the scripts that I've written, I post some of them on my uh, WordPress, which is just itmecarol.wordpress.com. And uh I would like to recommend you guys some Lav Diaz movies, even though they're very heavy and long in the tooth. So you need to like set out like a time for them, but they are really wonderful. Uh, I think the best place to start 
is Norte, the End of History, which is a Filipino reimagining of Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky. And it's really phenomenal and is also about like the whole like evilness of the Marcos period and how it reverberates into like newer generations. And uh, yeah, um, that's that's me. Where is that available? Like on any streaming services? I have like... no fucking clue. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you go on eBay and find you, like, I'm, it's DVD. usually on like the more art house ones, like Mubi or mm-hmm. or Criterion Channel. I was gonna say Criterion. This would be yeah. my guess. Uh, if you need to uh, find alternative means, like uh, like our fellow pirate friends that we all know. <laughs> then feel free to do so because accessibility of media Bar- is also important. Bartolomeo is the one hanging out the bootleg uh, stuff. Uh, <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> I have so much good homework to do. Um, this is uh, Shannon, where could, where could people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Plenty of Alcoves, on YouTube uh, at Struchy Movies, that's S-T-R-U-C-C-I. I'm a player on the Teenage Superhero Body Horror Podcast, Critical Bits, at Critical Bitcast, and I'm a film correspondent for Struggle Session at Struggle Sesh. So much good stuff. Um, and Brian Newton, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Dark King Zorro, all one word. Uh, you can check out episodes of Rugrats if you like it. Yeah. It's 3D. <laughs> mm, same babies. Adults are all different. <laughs> babies now in 3D. Yeah, baby, she's now three. Oh my they're god, they're back coming in pod form. Yeah, they're they're could... just as just as horrifying to look at sometimes. Reptors <laughs> in three D. I hope that's yeah. What... He is definitely yeah. in 3D. <laughs> um, and then uh, I don't know. Urkel's coming out into the year, but oh yeah, yeah, you know. I forgot you're doing it. Yeah. Um, busy. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, busy. Um, yeah, please check all everyone, everyone here out. Um, they're all amazing. Uh, next month, we're going to be talking all about asexuality and aromanticism. Um, and I'm very excited. We have a very good slate of guests on that one. I am, I am excited for that one. Who, whoever is a part of it. Are you coming on, Carol? That, I'm, I'm not, oh. but uh, I'm you could sit definite. in and listen if you want. That's your always. I'll, I'll listen when it when it comes out. <laughs> okay. But, um, <laughs> uh, support support the show as it releases. Yeah, but, I'm, but I I have very positive feelings about One Piece with regards to like the asexual representation. So me I'm too for that. Yeah, one. yeah, I am I am as well. Um, so we'll see you then, everyone. Uh, my name is Zach. You can find me at Zach underscore Logan and you can find the, I forgot to do our plugs. You can find the one piece <laughs> podcast at one piece podcast. Um, please also check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash one piece podcast. We have a few new series, including our tabletop role playing game that Dan has been, uh, helming along with amazing, so many amazing guests. I'm not going to list them all here because I'm going to definitely forget someone and then I'm going to feel like I offended them. Um, And we're also doing our first fan book and that will include special pages dedicated to each of the Fight Together episodes that have been released. Um, And I'm very excited to see that too because I know Fight Together, not just for me, there's a lot of people out there really, you know, I think... um, has become important for people and it is it has been um, the highlight of my podcasting career i've said before so I'm, I'm so happy to continue to do a new season of these episodes and we'll see you next month everyone goodbye bye, bye. thank you
later. Together